One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another edition of the Work-Life Balance. So excited to have everybody along. I uh, I took last week off as, as a growth period for me. I had the opportunity to go uh, uh, visit with some friends and, and some business compatriots and, and just had a fantastic time. Came out of there on fire with some, some business ideas and we're going to have a huge announcement uh, coming in the next uh, three weeks. We're, we're actually uh, planning on la- launching a whole new service uh, March 1st. But uh, once you hear the names that are associated with the service, it is going to be out of this world. I'm so excited to see this come together in, in the lineup of people uh, that we have that are going to be able to serve this community, talk about what it is that we love to talk about um, and continue to grow uh, as people. So uh, was was out and about last week, headed to Houston. Uh, Monday, I'll be in Houston, Monday through Thursday, um, working on some ideas out there. And uh, had a fantastic time today speaking to the Association of Fundraising Professionals. So lucky enough, I could actually do a, a speaking engagement right here in town, uh, which is uh, slim to none that that happens. So we love to take advantage of that uh, when it does. But we want to get into today's show. Uh, we've got a great, uh, I can't wait to get into this topic. Uh, but the gentleman uh, himself is that's going to be with us, he attended Ohio State University, and we, we actually won't hold that against him for any reason whatsoever, <laughs> and he graduated from Elon College. He spent 20 years as a CEO of multi-state resale, retail sales and a rental company that grew to 47 locations. He spent the past 20 years as a keynote speaker, teacher, author, realtor, and business leader, and along the way, he's invested tens of thousands of hours speaking and sharing leadership and success secrets, sales and personal mastery systems, and what we're going to be talking about here, his trust-based philosophy systems with companies and organizations just like everyone listening across the world. So let's bring him in right now. Mark Gibbon, how you doing, sir? Good, Rick. Hey, it's good to see you. Glad to be here today. Glad to be with you. So tell us a little bit about uh, just yourself. Introduce yourself to the audience a little bit, and then let's let's get into trust-based philosophy. That'll be great. This um, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version because you said you said the business side of it. Um, written eight books, four of them now. Fifth one coming out this year is on the trust-based philosophy. So I've written a whole series of books on the importance of uh, building, maintaining, and repairing trust. Spent about forty years. Uh, researching that because of both my retail background and then my service background and leadership background and all I've done there. Um, Husband, father of five, grandfather of eight. Good gracious. And and grateful to be happy and alive and sharing what I believe is just a critically important principle called the trust-based philosophy. Well, and so you you said retail sales, and you know anybody that's spent any time in sales say say that people will only buy from those that know, like, and trust you, right? They, that's right. And so is that is that where this birth? Well, it it is, but I but of the four books that I've written and the fifth one coming out, well, the first one was really about leadership because as a CEO, it's it's really important to try to understand trust and leading rather than just managing. Managers manage tasks. Leaders are supposed to inspire. So I wrote the book, uh, Trust-Based Leadership, about uh, about the importance of leading with trust. And then I wrote a trust-based selling book, uh, Proven Ways to Stop Selling and Start Attracting, because nobody likes an icky salesperson. And, uh, uh. you know, they're repelled by that. So people like to buy, but they don't they don't want to be sold. Nobody likes to be sold. So you have to have some trust, obviously, for people to want to do business with you, recommend you do uh, repeat business with you again. Then I wrote a book on trust-based success, proven ways to stop stressing and start living. That's about harmony in life and having, you know, accomplishing what you think is most important. And obviously relationships are all built on trust. So that's a lot about building, maintaining relationships. Then I wrote a book on uh, trust-based networking, proven ways to stop meeting and start connecting. There's a difference. So many people go to 
events and programs where they introduce themselves and they try to build their business or build their career, but they, they do it the wrong way. And so I wrote a book about building trust and networking. And then the new book that's coming out the probably June or July is Trust-Based Entrepreneur so that we can, we can build the business and the life that we want and reduce risk. If we build trust, we reduce risk. So that's the fifth. I probably haven't finished, but so far, there's four, one, fifth one coming out this year. Well, in the center of all those is, is what I hear is one of my favorite words, too, is authenticity, right? I mean, if Absolutely. you're going to be building trust, you have to be authentic. And that's why that's why the sales guy is seedy to us. And that's why, you know, I'm we're in the, the land of information products right now. They're popping up all <laughs> over and they're, you know, and, and, you know, Russell Brunson, I think, is a genius. He's the founder of ClickFunnels. But then he released a product called Funnel Scripts, which told everybody how to sell based on a script, which to me breaks the trust of the relationship in the beginning. So um, what what led you down the path? You know, uh, no offense. And and, and I love to pick and, and have fun with my guests. And (laughs) <laughs> but every CEO that I know that spent 40 years as a CEO starts talking about harmony and relationships yeah, and things sure. like that. Yeah. And wh- so why, why haven't we done that like just 10 years into our career? Is it because everybody's so ladder focused? And then once you get to the top, you start recognizing what's, what's real? I think, I think you're probably right on that. That's part of it, too. And as we age, we, we recognize the importance. Um, I mean, our perspective changes. And so we recognize the importance of relationships. And instead of just stepping on or stepping over, uh, we realize that, hey, it's, it takes a lot of people to create success. And that success comes through building trust. And so that's really the principle. It took me a while to, I mean, I certainly observed it and experienced it, but uh, to, I mean, it took a wealth of books full of notes and read, you know, book after book after book so that I could do it better. And, and not that any of those materials weren't good. I just felt like that for me, the trust books that I read, the materials of programs that I was involved in, really taught about the importance of trust and the concept of trust. But they didn't talk about what I call the four facets of trust, which are the introduction, I call it the grand opening, and then building rapport, and then maintaining trust, and then repairing trust when you mess it up, because we all mess it up. So although I learned the concept of trust, Nobody broke it down for me so that I could understand there's really four different steps. And that's what the trust-based philosophy is all about, is understanding that there's more to it than just a concept of trust. There's actually science behind how to do it, how to do it right, and how to improve our skills and our abilities so that we are authentic, so that it's really, it's really us. It's what's in here in our heart and uh, not just what's in our head. So not just a concept, but a, a, an actual practice and a skill. And one that can be developed. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we're not always born with the skills that we need. Sometimes we have to understand and develop them. So the four facets of trust are what the trust-based philosophy is really all about. And uh, what, we, what I've learned as I've studied and researched and, and practiced it is that if I understand those four distinct principles better, how they work and how to build, maintain, repair in each of those, I just get better and better and better. It doesn't make me perfect. I'm always growing, but it's amazing to me how many people I'm out speaking to in organizations or companies that they, they've just been taught the same things that trust is a concept, not a science. And it, there is a science to building and maintaining trust. Well, and you're speaking my language there. Uh, I'm a huge, uh, uh fan and studier of Dr. Cialdini and the power of persuasion sure. and influence. Sure. Um, what, I, what I really like so far, obviously what I'm hearing, but I like that you're calling it a trust-based philosophy, not a trust-based system. Right? Right. So even though there's science and everything for it, it's not like, you know, step A, you manipulate somebody this way, step B, you do it, th- <laughs> right? So it's a philosophy. So, so why, why choose that word? Why, why philosophy is kind of your overhanging uh, corporate structure? Well, I mean, I think you kind of just said it, that it's not, you know, so often um, we're, we're positioned to buy a system. And, uh, you know, here, here's my program, buy my program. And the reality of it is, it's, it's the science of it is more, um, you know, physiological and psychological. It's, it's not really a system. There are programs and, and, and the philosophy that we can teach you, and you can embrace it 
and improve it if you want to. So we have different things that we teach as I go out and speak and, of course, teach to companies, organizations, associations. Um, I, I'm, I'm out there trying to help them understand each of those four facets and then help them understand the philosophy of each and how that it works. There are systems within the philosophy. Sure. But, of course, what we're trying to do is help people from where they are to get them to the next step. So let me, can I give you an example? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. Let's, Let's dive in. Let me, let me give you an example. Let me give you some meat right now so that your listeners understand. For years and years and all of our lives, the first facet of the trust-based philosophy is called the grand opening. We have all been taught our whole lives the same thing, the same principle of our introduction, which is, hi, I'm, or hello, I'm, or it's nice to meet you, I'm. And the reality of that is, most people walk away from an introduction to somebody that they've never met before. They introduce themselves by saying, hi, I'm Mark, or, or hi, I'm Rick, right? And then while the other person is introducing themselves, our brain is not locked on. Yeah. And so what happens is that's called a two-step greeting. That's what we call a two-step greeting. And it was, hey, I'm Mark. Nice to meet you. And then while you're saying, hi, I'm Rick, and we're trying to engage each other, I'm really thinking my brain is focused on what I'm going to say next. So I walk away from an introduction, and I'm thinking, now, what was his name again? <laughs> and, and then we go and we try to write it down or we try to associate them in some way with, with some animal or some action or some event so that we can try in some way next time we see them to remember them. So the trust-based philosophy would say, go from a two-step greeting to a three-step greeting. And here's the three-step greeting. It's, it's, the, it's the salutation, uh, but instead of saying, hi, I'm Mark, you would say, hey, it's good to see you today. Or Rick, I appreciate you having me on today. But the key word in there is you. It's nothing about me. It's about you. So it would be, hey, Rick, we sure appreciate you having me on the show today. Uh, thank you for having me. My name's Mark. So a three-step greeting uses the word you twice. Good to see you. Thank you for having me. My name's Mark. Now, what we've learned by experimenting with this over and over and over now for years is that for some reason, there are some things that I don't have the dollars to invest and in understanding why it works this way. I can't put people in MRI machines to determine it. But here's what we've learned. When, when people do a three-step greeting, Rick, instead of a two-step greeting, their brain is more inclined to now listen to what the other person has to say. And by saying you, you, or them, them, then you, not only are you listening better, but you're, you have impressed them, um, maybe subliminally. It's not manipulating. It's just reality. You love hearing a conversation that's about yourself instead of just me. Instead of, hi, I'm Mark. Hey, it's good to see you, Rick. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm Mark Given. And then I, I'm more inclined to listen to what you have to say. So the difference is a two-step greeting, which we've all been taught, to a three-step greeting, which is what the grand opening in the trust-based philosophy is really about. It's just one piece of that, but that's one important piece. Trying to teach people to go from a two-step greeting to a three-step greeting. And man, when you when you get out there and I'm trying to teach it, Rick, people fumble all over this. Sure. But sure. once they practice it, it becomes uh, easy and you immediately become more likable. And, and we can't really explain why, but the psychology of it shows that you just immediately become more likable. And when you're more likable, you're more inclined for people to have that initial stage of trust, which we call the first impression. Yeah. Well, what it taps into is the radio station everybody listens to, which is WIIFM or what's in <laughs> yeah, it for me. Yeah. Right? So we're going to take a break right here, but we've got a lot more. We've got these other facets that we want to talk about. I also want to get into... Um, that, that greeting and, and some different ones that I've seen that I've seen that have been really effective. So we'll be right back with Mark Gibbon. You're listening to Rick Morris and the Work-Life Balance. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? 
R Squared Consulting provides end-to-end -end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance, talking with Mark Given, who has, has written his trust-based philosophy. He's got four books, a fifth one on the way, discussing the science uh, as well as how to build trust uh, through a philosophy-based approach. And, you know, right before we went to break, we were talking about how it taps into the WIIFM piece. And what's interesting, there's a, there's a friend of mine, and it's, it's somebody I just instantly, you know, fell in love with. It was incredible. Um, but what she's so good at doing is asking questions. Like, she barely even gets her introduction done and gets right into, so what are you here for? What do you do? What? But also genuinely interested and I, I've, I've loved being kind of a fly on the wall and watching how she does that because it's not a natural skill to me. Um, and uh, it's, it's phenomenal to see how people react. She's probably got more suitors out there in the world because they, because she's so genuinely interested in people. But is that, is that kind of an example of what we're talking about? Yeah, actually, it really is. In fact, that's what my trust-based trust networking book is about, the difference between what you're saying. Instead of just meeting people, she's connecting with people. Amen. And because she's connecting, they like her, they trust her, they're more inclined to remember her, maybe to recommend her, possibly to do business with her. I'm not sure what she does. But, but at least engage in her, and she has uh, positioned herself to do that by – building immediate trust. We've all been taught somewhere along the way when we were young that we only have one opportunity to make a first impression. I, and, I was told uh, that. and we've all been taught that. And, but uh, realistically, uh, as, even though we understand the importance of that, we've never been taught really how to improve, to, to make sure that we have that first impression. So that that greeting that I was just talking to you about, that that science and that whole uh, work that we did on, on discovering that, coming up with a, a three-step greeting instead of a two-step greeting, came out of research that was done by Harvard University. They spent about 15 years studying influence and um, uh, authority in the world and being able to connect. And uh, th what was interesting is although the, the whole study was not about this particular topic, what came out of that as it relates to me and what I do is that we form a first impression when we see somebody for the first time based on their science in 50 milliseconds in less than a blink of an eye. So we haven't even had an opportunity to say anything and they form that opinion and that 50 milliseconds based on how we look, our facial expressions, our body language, you know, do we look confident? Do we look like we're an ax murderer, right? Do we look like we would be a kind person, right? I mean, so it's, it's really two things. It's, it, they can almost see that from a distance, we can too. Does somebody appear like they're a good person? Do they have heart? Do they have compassion? Do they look like, do, does that individual look like somebody that would be interested in, you know, and kind to me? Or do they look like they're a jerk, right? Um, do they look like they're uh, intelligent? So are they kind and are they competent? And they form that opinion of trust 
in 50 milliseconds. Now, that then leads to the next step, which is the greeting. And what we've discovered is if we can take, well, first of all, in that 50 milliseconds, if they want to even engage with us at all, if they do engage with us, then if we could go from a two-step greeting to a three-step greeting, the you, you, then me, it built, you, you have then built a foundation of trust and so now you can now you can go from there to the second stage. There's still more to it than that, but you can go to the next stage, which is the rapport building facet and the trust-based philosophy. So it, it's really interesting how uh, we have research now that shows things we just never knew before. 50 milliseconds? If yeah. that doesn't scare you, it should scare you because whether we like it or not, we use this harsh word today, Rick, called profiling, mm-hmm. and we all do it. We all do it. While somebody's profiling us, we're profiling them. And so the idea from a a life and business position is how can we position ourselves to be more likable, to be more trustworthy on that initial glance at 50 milliseconds? And then what do we say to make sure that we enhance that and make sure that they can connect with us and will connect with us and are interested in us. But it's only by us showing like your friend that we're interested in them because they, that, that's the most important topic they want to talk about anyway, which is themselves. I, I think that the thing I can't get over though is that she's genuinely interested. Like, I don't know that if I'm that interested <laughs> in, in everybody that's there, but like <laughs> genuinely interested. It's hilarious. Uh, we had Dr. Meisner on the show uh, about two or three months ago, Dr. That's Ivan awesome. Meisner in, but even just we, we talked about open circle, closed circle, right? And just sure. just how that leads into trust. So when you start talking about positioning, and, and obviously I understand the positioning in our minds, but is there positioning that you see in terms of greetings and, and you know how close and that kind of stuff? Is, is any of sure. that in the book? Sure. And of course, it varies based on culture, too. I mean, sure. in different sure. places in the world, it would vary. But but obviously, we have this personal comfort zone that we need to stay in. It's also very important that we do. We teach simple principles like how do you position your body? And you know, what about your feet? Uh, I don't know that you've ever noticed it, but but I know your listeners, if they're if they're conscious of us, you, when you're talking with somebody and you've now lost interest, and you're trying to, you know, sometimes we're, we're finished with the conversation. We're trying to break away, but the other person doesn't get it. They don't see it. Next time that happens to you, Rick, and any of your listeners, next time that happens to you, you're trying to break away. They don't get it. Look down at your feet and see what they're doing. Your feet are already positioned away. They have already turned. So you, you don't even realize you're doing it. So we teach principles of how to build and maintain trust to help people understand that these these things really matter. The way we shake hands, the way we position our body. In other words, it's it, we either build trust or we deteriorate the trust that we might be able to build just by the actions. And, and sometimes our body language, we don't even realize what we're doing. So Dr. Meisner is a is a expert, a master of all that, and uh, has written wonderful books on that. And we're just approaching some of that, not to the level he is yet, but we're trying to approach it from a different angle and make sure that we're helping people be the best that they can be. See, I, I use the Larry technique to break away. That's where you go, Larry. Oh, I'm so sorry. Hang on. I got to go catch this. Nobody named Larry's over there, but it works every time. It, it may not be the best way to build trust, but it gets me out of the conversation. I can promise you that. Larry, he's right over there. So let's talk about uh, rapport um, okay. as, as kind of the next thing. How, what, what are some examples or things that, that you would like to discuss around rapport? Well, all right. So the rapport building, you know, once we built and maintained some level of trust, now the rapport is, it's actually very simple. The principle is that you would ask more questions and sincerely listen, just as your friend, you demonstrate with the story of your friend, that you would ask more questions and sincerely listen, and and you'd be more interested in what they have to say than you telling them uh, the stories. There's a wonderful story in Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People about how he spoke for hours at a dinner with someone there at his table. And they felt like he was the most, that uh, Dale was the most interesting person they'd ever met. And yet Dale never really told this other individual anything about himself. All he did was ask questions and listen. So it's about asking rather than telling. And I teach a concept called the Ford concept. People really like to talk about themselves. And so when you ask questions about their family, uh, that's the F, 
their occupation, that's the O, or, you know, what they do or did. Their, the R would stand for recreation, what they do for fun. The D is what they see in their future, maybe could be work-related, family-related, could be, you know, anything, where they would like to vacation. It could be uh, it could be where they see themselves retiring. D is more difficult than F or O or R. But we teach that principle when we're teaching rapport, that people like to talk about themselves. So you would ask questions, give them an opportunity to talk about themselves. It's amazing what you'll learn when you just ask questions. And, and people really want to talk about themselves anyway. So that's why I have a radio show. I, I, <laughs> quite, quite frankly, though, is, is to have an hour with people I find really, really interesting. Sure. Sure. And, and, you know, I always wanted to come back around to me, but that's not what the important part is. No, I'm just, but well, the point sure. being, but, but <laughs> it, it makes me like focus and, and, and I've had some of the most fascinating conversations right here on the show. Sure. Um, sure. So, so go ahead. No. So we, we also teach the Socratic method, which is, you know, learning to ask the right questions better questions, you know, and so that they're non-offensive questions. Uh, they're, they're kind of questions that people would want to answer and they don't feel like you're probing or prying and uh, stepping into their space where they, you know, if you don't know them well, you can't, you shouldn't be asking them questions that, that are inappropriate type questions. So we try to teach people on building reports, the Socratic method. And we try to teach explain them. that just a little bit though. I'm not, well, I'm not aware of the Socratic method. Okay. So the Socratic method is just, I mean, Socrates just taught the principles. So, Socrates is what yeah, we call Socrates, him. Yeah. yeah. So, so Socrates taught the principle of, <laughs> of, of he actually taught very much the same type principles that Dale Carnegie taught just a lot sooner than Dale. So, so it's really just uh, understanding that people like to talk about themselves. So, so we, we talk about how uh, how Socrates and Dale Carnegie are like-minded and other people like that have written books like that. Bob Berg has written books yeah. about the endless referrals. Yeah. Um, Bob's a friend of mine. I recommend him highly all the time because uh, but his book, Endless Referrals, and then going on to The Go-Giver that he did with John David Mann, wonderful books. They're teaching the same type principles, even though they're not teaching the, the – they don't use the word trust. They're teaching – asking, engaging, and listening, and being, you know, sincere, transparent, interested, right? And, and then you're amazed at how much you really learn. So the rapport facet is really about asking more questions and listening instead of talking. You know, it's let's make the conversation about them and not us. Yeah, it's discovery mode, right? Yeah, Every exactly. good salesperson. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. Sure. But, I, you know, again, I don't want to keep coming – beating a dead horse over this, but that's, that is, that's difficult for me, especially when I'm, I'm medium interested. Like, <laughs> like when somebody's got me, they've got my full attention. I'm in, right. And, and I, I want to know everything, but when I know I'm supposed to be building a rapport with that person, but I, like, I, I feel like I lose authenticity because I was like, yeah, I, I really don't care what the answer is. <laughs> right? You know what? Let's be honest. Everybody you meet out there is not somebody that you're going to connect with. Sure. And so, so the difficult part when we're talking to sales companies is helping them understand that they're, they're really not doing anybody any favor if, if all they really care about is selling a product, right? Yeah. And they're not interested in why those people would want the product or how they would benefit from the product. So, so no, I, I totally understand what you're saying. And yeah. everybody's not going to be a good fit for us. Sometimes we're better off to just when we know we're not going to be a good fit, just to move them on to somebody else and then yeah. find the people we really could be successful with and we really are interested and can help them. Uh, you know, no matter how good you get at it, some people just are not a good fit. And, you, you know, it's hard, to, it's, it's hard to connect with people that you just don't like. You know, uh, or just don't connect with, right? Or don't but, care, uh, right? <laughs> that, that's what you, yeah, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. It's not yeah, caring, yeah. but no, <laughs> it makes me sound horrible, but it's the truth. Um, so we're going to take a break right here. We come back. I want to discuss one of the other facets of trust, but I do want to wrap up uh, this little conversation here uh, around rapport as well. So we're listening to the Work Life Balance. You're listening to Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end -end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, 
train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes. R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon talking with Mark Given about trust-based philosophy. And Mark, you know, we, we were talking about rapport and we started talking about the Socratic method, and then I, I had to introduce the, the joke that we call them Socrates because I live in the South. Um, but, uh, and that's, everybody goes, who's Socrates? Oh, Socrates. No, I got it. Um, but uh, I, I did want to come back to that. Can you give an example of what we're talking about when we say you're using the, the Socratic method to sure. ask questions? Oh, and, and let me make it um, a new world. So connect Socrates with another example. So, so the Socratic principle is, is just asking questions, good questions, relevant questions that people want to answer. They have okay. this desire to answer. So Harvey McKay wrote a book called How to Swim with the Sharks Without Being Eaten Alive. It's been, gosh, 25, 30 years ago. But in that book, he had something called the McKay 66. So let's go to the Socratic methods. Ask people questions that they'd be interested to answer. The McKay 66 or 66 questions that if you if you understand these questions, you know more about this individual than maybe their mother even does. So uh, if they just look that up, the McKay 66, the Socratic method leads is a good example of why Harvey McKay wrote the McKay 66. It gives people an opportunity to talk about the things they want to talk about easily and the most themselves. And then the McKay 66 gives us a way to gather that information so that we can engage those people again. And it shows that we've been listening. Outstanding. Okay. So we, we have four facets of trust, and it, it, you can give me just a, a, a quick one-liner on, on manage because I want to move into repair, but when yeah. we start talking about managing trust. Manage is simple. It's uh, the go-giver principle that I talked about with Bob Berg. It's giving more than taking. The world loves givers. So if, if you're willing to be generous, to be kind, to serve rather than take, that is what we teach in, in, the, in the third facet, which is about managing trust. Be a giver, not a taker. Yeah, and well, it fits it with that, the, that's the principle. Well, sure, it fits. It fits with the the one of the biggest influential uh, or, or sciences of influence, which is the reciprocity. Right. Sure. The that's more exactly. you give, the more people want to give to you, sure. and it right. needs to be done with a pure heart. So sure. I've got tons of stories around that stuff, but uh, <laughs> we won't get into that at the moment. Um, but let's get into repair. So, uh oh, I just made a mistake. I damaged trust. I. Yeah. I revealed something to a friend that I shouldn't have revealed and, and, and broke your trust. What, what, what do you do in, in those situations? Well, well let's, let's make a reasonable assumption that there's nobody listening right now that's perfect. That, uh, that's, they, that they, at some point, they have made a mistake that they needed to repair. The trust-based philosophy teaches the fourth facet, which is the repair facet, which means that there's four, there's four steps to that. The four steps of repairing, one is to recognize that you've done something wrong. You just have to, some people struggle with admitting that they're not perfect and they've actually made a mistake. So the first step is recognizing you're not perfect and you messed it up, right? The second step then is once you recognize you've done it, you would, you would just not just admit that you did it, 
but you could recognize how it's hurt these other individuals, these other whoever it is, whether it's another company, it's consumers, or it's an individual. So, so first you recognize you did something, then you recognize that it, how it made them feel and how would it make you feel if you were in those circumstances. The third step then is to sincerely apologize and repair. Very difficult for some companies to do out there. First sure. of all, they to admit it all. But then let's face it, once once we know we've made a mistake and the world knows we've made a mistake, we're making a huge mistake. We're making it worse if we don't just admit and apologize and say, here's how I recognize that it may have made you feel. Here's how it would make me feel if it was me. And then the fourth thing is that you, you fix it and you don't do it again, right? So yeah. what am I going to do to fix it? And then what am I going to do to make sure that we don't do it again? In today's world, Rick, when social media I spent 20 years in retail back in the days when we didn't have social media. And, and we used to say, if you know, if you offended one customer, they'll tell a hundred. Well, now if you offend one customer, yeah. you tell millions. I mean, anybody out there that's listening. And so when there, there are plenty of examples in the news right now today that we could go to and say that company recognized they did something wrong. They recognized how it hurt people. They recognized what they need to do to repair it. And they took steps immediately to apologize and repair. Those companies continue to, to, you know, to flourish. They'll, they'll fix it. It might take some time, but they'll fix it. But there are also examples of companies won't admit what they did wrong. They won't take any recognition at all. They don't do anything or they're slow to, to do anything and they won't apologize. And, and silence is the same as admitting that you don't care. So we live in a difficult world today where if we don't, the lawyers would say, don't, don't say anything because it just makes it worse. Right. And, the, and the reality of it is I'm not an attorney, so I'm sure they would argue with me, but the, you know, you, you can't hide your sins, right? I mean, eventually, especially in today's world with, with, uh, you know, cell phones, technology. I mean, everybody's shooting video of everything you can't hide. It's going to come out. Yeah. You know? So, so you're, so the fourth facet is how do we take those four steps so that we can more quickly repair the damage that we've done and, you know, we've damaged trust. So now how do we regain trust? How do we repair trust? And it's really those four steps, recognize, admit, do something about it and then don't do it again. Right. Don't yeah. do it again. So, so I'm going to want to come back to step one there in just a, a second, but you, you were mentioning, I, I, one of my favorite stories I saw that came out in the news, it, it, they actually hadn't done anything. Um, yeah. But still they, they perfectly walked through step two, three, and four. That was Crock-Pot uh, when the, the, there's a beloved character on a, uh, a dramatic television show on NBC that dies because of Crock-Pot fire. And they wake up to, to social media and everybody's banning their products and it wasn't even a real Crock-Pot. It, 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 it was fictional <laughs> in the first place. Yeah. But watching how they handled it, um, you know, they acknowledged their feelings. They showed where that really couldn't occur in their product, but they, they understand why people would be upset. It was brilliant to, to yeah. watch them regain that trust of the audience. Sure. Um, but coming back to, to step one for a second, what are those people that don't recognize like that? The first step is to recognize I did yeah. something. Yeah. And, and you know what? Is there so tips or techniques? We, we all know companies and individuals, or maybe we've experienced companies and individuals that, um, that just won't admit that they're, that they can make a mistake, right. Or, or they won't, they won't admit that they made a mistake. So, I mean, that's because I'm not a psychologist or a, you know, it, it's, I don't really have the ability probably should be cautious that I give, that I give any kind of, uh, indication that, you know, but, but realistically the first step is to help somebody recognize whoever the individual or the company is to recognize that they have in fact, harmed somebody, right? Whether it be in a, a marriage, whether it be with a relationship in, with your family or a friend, I mean, the first step is just recognizing the fact that, hey, you know, I really messed up here. And then to, to process the next step, which is how would it make me feel, right? If I were if the revert, if the roles were reversed, how would that make me feel? If I can understand how it might make me feel, 
then I can go to the next step, which is repairing. So I don't want to discount what you're asking, but the most difficult part really is the beginning, the first step, which is uh, helping people understand because we can see they made a mistake, right? right? We can tell them they made a mistake, but that doesn't mean they want to own up to it or even recognize it. Um, and, and that's the, that's the difficult part. And, and you know what, that's kind of what's either up here, go back to what's in our heart and what's in our head. Um, you know, how, how transparent do we want to be and how open do we want to be to the world and to our, the relationships that we have? We all make mistakes. I'm just grateful that I don't make huge blunders all the time. Some, you know, but, but make mistakes of some kind regularly. Yeah. Right? I come out of the project management world and I actually taught, uh, I call it the 10%, 100% rule, right? Sure. I own a hundred percent of the failure, yeah. whether, whether I did it or not. But sure. what I learned in my career was uh, uh, amazing is that owning it. So for, I, I think people yeah. feel vulnerable to want to admit a mistake because it makes them feel, you know, imperfect as we already know we are imperfect. But what what's really empowering is when you go, look, I messed up and they go, yeah, you did. And I was like, I know. I just said, like, there's nothing you can say to somebody who owns the issue. There's right. just not. Amen. You know what? And, and that is, is a powerful step because now you, you can't make somebody accept your apology. You cannot make somebody forgive you, but, but it changes the whole scenario when you take the proper steps yourself and with a company that you would run or own or be CEO or, or your, well, your department, when you own the fact that, hey, I'm responsible here and yeah. you just admit it, you know, I, what's sometimes There's nothing you could say without, without sounding like a jerk. Yeah. Right. And, and maybe I deserve to get fired. But but realistically, let's own it and move on to the next step, which is how do we how do we move on from here and make it better? Yeah. It doesn't do us any good to just wallow or stay where it is it doesn't get better it just gets worse yeah I'm, I'm fascinated with the fixing blame you, you know blaming other people for for things like that I'm just fascinating by that concept because um it, I, I feel like you get the three-year-old apology right where they go sorry you know your, your mom's <laughs> making you apologize to your brother or yeah, sister and yeah. you're like sorry <laughs> and then the other one goes well you don't mean it <laughs> the fight goes again right it just sure. I'm fascinated sure. by that, that, that authenticity. Again, I, that word comes out, but uh, that authenticity of just owning it. Um, what, what are, do you have any kind of go-to story on, on something like that when you, when you're uh, teaching the, the repair? Yeah. You know what? So it kind of depends on the, the group or the organization, the people that I'm talking to, because if I, you know, if I'm talking to a, um, I did a program not long ago for a educational program and what you would talk with teachers are different than what you talk with sure. when it comes to salespeople in the real estate industry. Right. Sure, sure. So, so yeah, there, there's probably a thousand stories that I have of myself because I just try not to make any mistakes, but we all make mistakes and they're embarrassing. You know, I mean, nobody likes to tell the, the stories of when they failed, but that's how we learn is to, is to do it. So I'm, I'm not going to bore anybody that's, with a, but that actually resonates more on stage, to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah, it does. You know, the sincerity of admitting that I'm wrong. Sure. Sometimes, let's face it, sometimes even out there speaking, because you're a speaker, yes. sometimes you say something stupid, not that you would, but sometimes I say oh, no. something stupid, and I think, I can't believe I just said that. So then I have to just stop and admit it. Now I'm building trust with these people say, you know, I probably shouldn't have just said what I just said. Oh, yeah. That may not have come across to somebody. And if I offended you, I apologize if you know, cause I know how I feel when I'm offended. And so we, we just have to admit it's a hard thing to be true enough to ourselves to admit that we make mistakes. And, uh, and it's not easy to, to admit that, that we're not perfect because we all want to be perfect, right? We, we all want to be perfect. And I'm, uh, I'm certainly patient zero foot and mouth disease. So, uh, <laughs> I think it all originated right there. He <laughs> says to me all the time, you know, give Mark a microphone and he's dangerous. And, <laughs> Absolutely. And Don't give true. us high eyes a microphone. <laughs> that's the last thing you so we're going to take our final break right here. We'll be right back with Mark Gibbon. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? 
In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back for the final segment of the Work-Life Balance this Friday afternoon. And look, I love, love my Friday shows. The time just flies, especially when we have somebody as, as fun and interesting as Mark with us. So, Mark, how, how can people find you uh, on the web and how can they book you as a speaker? Actually, it's very easy. If you just go to my website, which is markgiven.com. So, um, if they can remember my name, they can find me. And then uh, my email is just as easy, Mark at markgiven.com. So um, uh, if they, if they, uh, they'll, they'll find everything that they need on there so that uh, it might even keep my calendar on there so that if they have a particular date they're interested in, they can see, we try to update that every couple of weeks so that they can see if they got a program coming up, where's Mark going to be? Cause obviously if I'm going to be in their area, it's a lot easier. So I'm not flying sure. back across the country, but, but I'm available. I'm not under any kind of, uh, government protection so they can find me right <laughs> nice. markgiven.com and given is spelled g z l k f p no it's given g i v e n yeah it's, it's a given yeah. Oh, yeah. You've had fun with that your whole life right My there. I felt that. Yeah, I got that one. I got. So uh, we, we'd love to ask every one of our guests that come on the show. What's some of the best advice you've ever received? You know, I wear that's a good question. Um, First of all, uh, let me give you one about relationships as it relates to life and family and marriage. I've learned after 42 years of marriage that uh, if I want to, to have the kind of life and to be a trustworthy person, I'll listen to my wife. <laughs> she has this ability, women have this ability to be closer to, I, I don't know, the, the, that still small voice that uh, it, when I ask her and listen to her, I make smarter decisions. So that's good advice. My father and my father-in-law um, advised me to do that. It took me a while to get it, but I did. The second thing is I actually wear a little pen around on my, on my lapel all the time that just says CTR. It means it stands for choose the right. And um, it, you know, it's not a political statement. It's a make good choice statement. So even though that's not mine, I borrowed it from another you know, organization, but a religious organization actually. The point is when you, when you make good choices and you, and you strive to make good choices, you'll become, you'll become the kind of person and you'll be the kind of person that people want to trust. And on your tombstone, you know, if anything else, you, you certainly would want, even if it's a small inscription, I could trust Rick, you know, yeah. uh, if we could live our lives that way, the world would certainly be a better place. We'd have less problems in the world. We would uh, serve each other better and uh, there'd be more kindness. So CTR, choose the right. That's probably some of the best advice I've ever had. If I can just choose the right, make good choices every day, then the rest takes care of itself. I, be, I will have the kind of life and the kind of business that I'm seeking. Oh, that's wonderful. Is there any final words that you'd like to give to the audience? Yeah, you know what? I just want you to know how much I appreciate those of you that are, that are listening or will listen maybe from a recording. Just thanks so much for listening. 
my whole intent is to help people understand the importance, not just a concept of trust, but how to improve their circumstances in life and in business so that they can be more trustworthy and that it will improve their life and their, their, their circumstances. It could be financial, but it could be emotional too. So my, my whole uh, life as I wind my life down now is, is to try to help people reach the level of happiness and joy and success that they're seeking. I do it through teaching uh, the importance of building, maintaining and repairing trust. And so please call me, please email me. You can sign up for Mark's minute. If you go to Mark, given.com. It's a weekly message that a one minute message I send out every week. And obviously I've written books. So we'd, we'd encourage you to, you know, buy my books. All, <laughs> all my five books. of them. All yeah. five of them. When's the fifth one coming out? Uh, June or July. I'm actually writing this trust-based entrepreneur book, entrepreneur book with my oldest son, who is a, a serial entrepreneur. He's about 40 years old. I wanted a younger perspective and also with, um, uh, a wonderful woman who was a leader with IBM, um, one of their uh, first women in leadership. And so we're, we're sharing the authorship of this trust-based entrepreneur book so that we get three different positions, an, an, an older male, a younger male, and then a woman who's in leadership so that they can, people can really understand how to build a business and reduce risk and do it the right way so they, they can build trust within their organization and outside of their organization so that people want to do business with them. They want to join their company uh, and what they do, they buy into what they do and they want to buy their products and services. So that's what that book's really about. Probably June or July of this year. Outstanding. Well, Mark, we thank you so much for uh, joining us today. And uh, again, go to markgiven.com or it's mark at markgiven.com if you have any questions or if we'd left anything unsaid. Uh, but again, thank you so much for, uh, for being with us today, Mark. My pleasure. And for the rest of us, uh, next Friday, we're going to have Luke Peters uh, on the show. I'm really excited to talk to, to Luke as well. We've just got some fantastic guests uh, heading up. Uh, the weekend after that, I'm actually going to be uh, out in L.A., uh, we'll be sharing a stage with uh, Robert Herjavac and Johnny Depp and uh, and all of our MMC folks. Uh, so you can go to the City Gala, uh, City Gala or CitySummit.com and learn all about it. It's going to be a huge day for entrepreneurs, a huge day. And then we're an official Oscars after party. So who doesn't want to hang out uh, there? Um, and then coming up on the 21st on the show, we have the the one and only Lindsay Alley. Um, Lindsay is a, a dear friend of ours, a great comedian writer, uh, and uh, one of the original MMC uh, uh, star, MMC kids, the Mickey Mouse Club kids. And so she uh, uh, is going to get on and, and talk about her life and career. And, and I guarantee you, we're going to be laughing so much, we'll be crying because uh, that's just Lindsay every day. So please stay right here. Listen to our next show coming up here on the Business Network of Voice America. And uh, until next Friday, we will sign up. I hope that you live your own work-life balance. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.